what works and what doesn't. Understanding what works. What works for me. Understanding your own business to know what works. What works for you. This is What Works. I had always thought I was running a pretty values-driven business. I cared about people and tried to operate always assuming the best of them. I developed programs in the spirit of experimentation, a core value for me. And I utilized transparency and honesty in my marketing and sales processes. But at the same time, I didn't ask a lot of questions. If someone told me it was totally fine to do X, Y, or Z marketing tactic, I believed them. And I operated my business that way through October 2016. Then I had a wake-up call and a lot of questions. Like many people, I had so many questions about how the United States had gotten to that point. I had questions about the deep betrayal that I felt as a woman and the deep betrayal that wasn't at all new for women of color, LGBTQ folks, immigrants, and disabled people. And all of those questions started to trickle down into my business. I started to see ways that I was inadvertently replicating power structures that I wasn't okay with. And I started to see how it's so easy to turn a marketing campaign into a misinformation campaign. And I wanted to figure out how to do things differently. I'm Tara McMullen, and this is What Works, the show that makes small business make sense. I have learned so much over the last five years, and I've changed a lot of the ways I personally operate, as well as the operations in my business. We regularly explore what it looks like to live and work our values as a community. And one thing I've wrestled with in all that change and learning has been why we're doing things differently and why we endeavor to do better. It's easy to let wanting to do better become wanting to follow the right rules, get the language just right, or make sure that you speak up in just the right way when something horrific happens. This is a pattern that so many white, straight women like myself fall into, And I know it's one that I could easily fall into being the rule-loving, achievement-oriented person that I am. Last year, one of my commitments was a reminder for me to examine my pattern of defensiveness. I talked about it here a bit on the podcast. And this year, one of my commitments reminds me to speak up, to not avoid conflict just because I have something difficult to say. And as I've worked through those patterns and altered my habits, I've gotten pretty clear on what I do want and don't want when it comes to doing business differently. What I do want is to regularly examine the work I put out into the world to make sure it leaves room for human experiences that are different than mine. I don't want to exclude or hurt people by virtue of the way I do business or even the way I share my own story. And what I don't want is to live in fear of saying the wrong thing, getting called out, or being canceled. And the good news is that by focusing on leaving room for other people's experiences and taking steps not to hurt people with the language I use or the stories I tell, I don't have to live with that fear. I can accept that I won't always get it right and that I'll discover new things I can do to operate with a greater degree of inclusivity. And I can know that the people around me are doing the same. We're not waiting for someone to screw up. We're working together to do 
better. I wanted to share this with you because I know that talking about doing business ethically, inclusively, or excessively can bring up all sorts of feelings. It can make you worry that you're going to say or do the wrong thing. It can make you feel ashamed if you discover there's something you need to change. But when you orient your motive toward making room for difference, including people whose experiences aren't like yours, taking steps to not hurt people with your business, I think you can find both some peace and the motivation for real, lasting change. Today, I have a conversation with Alice Carolina. Alice is a brand strategist, as well as the founder of The Ethical Move, which champions ethical marketing and sales among small business owners. Alice and I talk about how The Ethical Move came to be, the values that guide the work The Ethical Move does, and how the business is set to evolve into the future. Now, let's find out what works for Alice Carolina. Alice Carolina, welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I would love to just sort of get the story of the beginning of the ethical move to sort of set the stage for the rest of this conversation. So how did the ethical move come to be? Well, when I was five, (laughs) honestly, I feel like it's been in the making for a very long time. My mother taught communication in our local design college. And so we always talked about manipulation and messaging and communication in general and design. And so, I mean, logically, I went into design school (laughs) because what else would I do? Um, And then I spent quite a few years in the ad industry in various roles, mainly as a project manager, because I couldn't quite wrap my head around being sort of part of the cheat code. (laughs) I know that Mm -hmm. sounds really weird because I was still in the industry, so it wasn't like I was out. Um, But I really felt like I, I had... I had so much knowledge about how to manipulate people and I really didn't want to do that. If that makes sense, you know, you know totally. exactly what colors to use, you know what fonts to use, you know what height things have to be, how how wide, you know, uh, an, an aisle has to be in a store for you to, you know, so people don't walk too fast, but not too slowly. Um, there's measurements for all of these things. And the more I got into it, of course, um, I just noticed how much I, well, I mean, I always, I always despised it because it just seemed like such a joke to me. Like, why would you have to do that if your product is good, your service is good? Why would you have to manipulate people? It just seemed so, I don't know, useless or unnecessary. I spent some time when I was quite young, when I was 18 in Bolivia, and this is kind of where the whole thing sort of like kickstarted my passion, I guess, um, on a sort of year off because I was getting uh, into a bit of a burnout at 17. Mm. <laughs> Isn't that oh. fun? Um, yeah. And um, Swiss design schools are not made for gentle minds. It doesn't work. Um, <laughs> and I spent some time basically in what at the time was probably the poorest country in South America, coming from Switzerland, which is probably the most privileged country in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, And the discrepancy between rich and poor and the just the the sheer imbalance of it all just really rattled me. Um, I didn't really know how to process it at the time, but all I could think about was how can I get into relief work? How can I get into doing something that 
works for everyone because it just didn't seem to work any like it it just clearly wasn't working people were dying <laughs> other people were super rich it just didn't make any sense at all um and all i could think of and like especially during the during the research phase that probably lasted like a decade trying to find a good organization that i wanted to tack on to i found how much we are just dealing with the symptoms of mm. sort of like the end result of what happens from like this white privileged fallout <laughs> um, and not actually following the money trail back to the source. And then I guess my brain just put two and two together and said, well, if we weren't so damn consumption hungry, if we weren't so much into instant gratification, if we didn't have this mind numbing speed, <laughs> then we wouldn't, we wouldn't need so much stuff and we wouldn't just be cluttering the world with our needs and our wants and our greed and our, it just felt like, why aren't we looking at where the needs come from? And mm. I think that's where I linked the two where I said, okay, well, our needs are fabricated. <laughs> Most of them. Mm -hmm. Most of them wouldn't exist if we, you know, lived out in the country and didn't have more than, you know, maybe a couple of solar panels and chickens. We probably wouldn't think about the things that we purchase or need to purchase in the future or the the thing that we need that we don't have the gap the constant gap you know not pretty enough not not fast enough not successful enough whatever it really doesn't matter we we all know the drill we all have a gap or we all feel a gap in some way not having the right relationship not having the right house and so to me it was pretty logical from my background in you know how to manipulate people that you we we're making this world like this is created mm -hmm. you know this is not internal this is not you know watch a kid it's not interested in you know whether or not the other guy well i guess i'm i'm assuming once you have toys you start <laughs> wanting the toys of other kids but originally i don't think we are born with the innate sense of lack Mm -hmm. And I do think that that was created. And so that is the very long story of sort of how it all came together. Because once I was so disillusioned by the entire industry, I spent some time studying interior design. I mean, finished my degree, went into the world of landscaping, and it just kind of and, and interior design in general, and just couldn't stop seeing the <laughs> There's just the constant lies and manipulation. It sounds so weird, but it just was, you know, like the matrix, I guess, when you just kind of see it all the time. And so I'm like, you know what? I'm going to start my own business. I'm going to get out of this world. I'm going to leave this garbage behind. And then I entered the online world. Yeah. <laughs> Knowing laughter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Anyway, I didn't know, okay? I didn't know it was worse. I mean, I could I I knew <laughs> I knew it was bad because obviously I had learned in school how to, you know, pff, uh, TV ads kind of morph into online ads. It's not a big jump, but for some reason I had thought because the internet is such a vast new place, we can invent anything. We can do anything with it. Mm -hmm. Why are we choosing to use the exact same garbage tactics, the same manipulation, even worse? Now it's just compounded by speed, by even more instant gratification, even more pressure. You can, you can, ins you can put things into people's minds in such an insidious way now without us noticing more and more because the psychology of how to sell things to people has been well studied and not on the side of what does it do to people but on the side of 
how can we sell more? Um, so really, that's when I got really angry and <laughs> I couldn't stop. I just felt like, well, okay, I mean, here we are, another new realm that we've conquered and we're doing the same stuff and it's not working for anyone still. Or let's say for most people, maybe it's working for like 0.0%, you know, one. <laughs> There's a one in there somewhere. Um, <laughs> I know math, I promise. Yeah. Um, anyways, that was the moment when I thought, okay, well, how about instead of dumping it all on the consumer, dumping it all on the people that are at the end of the supply chain, at the end of the chain of whatever puts people, puts packages in front of people's houses, we start by not manipulating people. And I don't mean that manipulation is, you know, the root of all evil. That's not even what I'm saying. Manipulation mm -hmm. is pretty much part of all of our lives all the time. Yeah. I just mean the insidious psychological, you know, the, the, the stuff that we do in order to bypass conscious decision making. If we as business owners can stop doing that, then maybe consumers service receivers will have a chance to sort of make up their own minds and have sort of like get rid of the numbing and the lack and the and the sense of constantly needing more because it's completely fabricated. It's actually not necessary. People who are actually in need, that's a totally different category. We wouldn't even understand that as white privileged folks. Just not. It's just yeah. not unless you've really experienced it. And I haven't. You don't know what it's like. So that sense of lack is completely false, in my opinion. And so that's where the ethical move started. I thought, okay, if we can put a badge on someone's website saying, hey, I'm not going to manipulate you on this website in my communications, in my marketing, then maybe people can trust more, start trusting businesses more, start seeing that they have some choice, getting a little bit of a, a space between what I want, what I think I need, and actually a, a, a purchase. And it would also make products better and services better because you'd actually have to do the job of making a good product, you know, yeah. because you couldn't just bypass. So anyway, that's where it started. And uh, the rest is history. Yeah. That, so I, I literally just finished writing a piece uh, very similar to what you just described. And one of the questions uh, that I included in that piece is from a thinker named L.M. Sarcassus, I think is the name. Um, I'm drawing a blank off the top of my, <laughs> or not a blank, but like the letters aren't falling quite into place in my head. Um, <laughs> but the question, he wrote 41 questions uh, to ask the technology that we use. And one of the questions is, does this technology encourage me to see people as a means to an end? And to me, what you're describing in terms of design and then what you're describing in terms of advertising and marketing tactics, those are technologies that we have sort of just taken on because they're technologies that, you know, why wouldn't we do this better than we've done it before? Um, but they are causing us to see people as a means to an end, to turn people into clicks and page views and users and consumers, as opposed to actually seeing people as people and interacting with people uh, with their best interests in mind, as well as our own best interests in in an ethical way. And so I really appreciate you teasing that all out and, and sharing that the story of sort of where the, this motivation came from. Um, one other question that was 
before we kind of get into how the ethical move works and, and what you're trying to do with that, one question that came to me is um, when you were trying to sort of find your way between a, a design, a career in design, starting your own business, even getting started with the ethical move, was there what was your personal goal or what was your personal objective when it came to the work you wanted to do in the world? And and I'll say that the reason I ask is because I just got done with an interview also for the series with Mara Glatzel. And she was talking about how she had to wrestle with, is she ambitious because capitalism or is she ambitious because she's ambitious? And she told me that, um, she she was prepared to grieve her ambition uh, if it was just a symptom of capitalism, but she realized that there no there was an internal like drive to her that she wanted to succeed and she wanted to define that success on her own. So anyhow, what you were saying it made me wonder like. Did you go through any process of grieving as you started to understand the industry that you were involved in as your career was starting to unfold or as you were starting to navigate that career? Yes. Now that you're putting words to it, um, <laughs> I think part of what part of my struggle, um, I think, was, well, I mean, you can call it neurodivergency, um, ADHD, or just the sense of innate fairness that I couldn't budge. Mm. Uh, fairness, I don't know, like this sense of right and wrong. And I kind of always felt like I needed to find the place where that would then eventually be a thing and I could just slot right in and we'd all have the same purpose kind of thing. Yeah. Um, because nothing ever was good enough. And I know that sounds really arrogant, I guess, but it just felt like this, this just isn't right. And I guess growing up, always having talked about um, various political situations, um, especially with my mom, who was very deeply feeling about um, the things that were happening in the world, like <laughs> the burning fields in Kuwait or or things that just felt like they were just made out of greed, like nothing else. It was just white man's greed or maybe not white man, but man. Um, yeah. It just seemed like there was there was always this feeling like th this can't be it. And I think in the ad industry, especially because I was so good at it, Maybe that's what you're alluding to as well with this ambition. Mm. Like I was really good at my job. I was really good at making making people feel any way I wanted them to feel. And that sounds horrible. <laughs> and it felt horrible. But at the same time, I felt like, well, but but I can't not do the thing that I'm good at because it makes me happy as well. So having to find a middle ground for me or middle ground, not even just having to find my own place. Eventually, I actually had a good friend, I remember in a car ride to Seattle, just go like, what if, what if you did your own thing? What if you built your own niche? What if it wasn't something that existed? What if you had to build it first? And I think that was the key moment for me where I decided, first of all, to have a business, um, or to build my own thing, like all of a sudden, I was sort of like, laced with possibility. And the other thing was, what if we built a new world altogether? What if mm -hmm. we actually had it in us to create a different way of doing things? Because all of this is made up. All of it. Well, somebody made it up at some point. We could unmake it, remake it. We can do whatever we want. What's now is not working at all. Not for anyone. So why not? And I think that's, like, I kind of had this thing in the beginning of my, you know, my business 
ventures into my branding business, I'm like, build your world. And world building was this whole thing. And I quickly noticed that it was quite ethereal and not really on the ground. But that was the place it was coming from. You know, I actually had a yes. copywriter tell him, you're very evocative, but not quite to the point. <laughs> I'm like, darn it. Anyway, so, <laughs> so I had to kind of grapple with, okay, what, how can I, how can I actually build a new world? Where would that start? Mm -hmm. What is the heart of this thing? And I think that's where branding really fit for me because first of all, it was including all the things that I knew how to do really well. And second of all, it was going right to the heart, to the values, to the, to the mission, to the vision, to the drive of what makes a business, the, the actual living, breathing soul of it. And I felt like that was where I wanted to move things and change things. So I think, yes, there was grief because I felt like I was constantly searching and couldn't really find the thing. And it's still not easy because it's still not a thing that people want to really do because we're still inundated with messaging saying, oh, quick success, you know, six figures yep. in six weeks or whatever. So really going down into the heart of things and actually wanting to change things is not, well, at first, maybe not lucrative and immediate. And that's why it's not as attractive, I guess. But to me, it's the only thing that we can do because honestly, this is not working. And I keep repeating myself, but it's really just, I don't know, where everything else comes from for me. Yeah. It sounds like it was also a journey uh, to find belonging. You wanted to find a place where your sense of, of right and wrong, good and bad was uh, the same as others or it was in line with with others who are working towards similar goals. And starting a business was a way of finding uh, sort of belonging to yourself. Does that sound right? Absolutely. Yeah. No, it absolutely sounds right. And I think it was also part of why I ended up joining um, co-commercial when it was back when it was called that. I remember you saying, we're going to be, we're the new economy. We're going to be the next people yeah. that influence politics. And I remember that more than anything was the reason why I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm in because that's where I wanted to go. Those are the peers I want to have, um, the ones who are reimagining how things are going and understand the importance and the actual power that businesses have in the world. Because growing up in a very political environment in Switzerland where we vote on everything, uh, it is the most direct democracy in the world. I was constantly just baffled by the, the, the slogging and the slow movement and the endless talking that I felt like, why aren't businesses, why aren't industries taking on more? As businesses, as entrepreneurs, like you said, we are... We are the new economy, mm -hmm. but we are also the new way of looking at, at the world because of all the new businesses that are going live, especially right now. There are lots and lots of people out there who are either vocalizing or sort of understanding implicitly what you are saying, that the system does not work, that um, people are hurting and being harmed just by sort of the status quo of how our economy has been built, how businesses have been built, how we're manipulated by media and advertising. Uh, and it is very difficult to imagine what different could look like, what a new economy could look like, what a new world could look like, because this is the system that so many of us have been born into. It is the system that's shaped what we believe is possible. 
And I think that you are someone who spends a great deal of time, or it seems to me you're someone who spends a great deal of time actually thinking about what that new world looks like. And so I would love to have you just sort of paint us a picture. What what could a new economy look like? How how would we function in it as business owners and as, as people who buy things? Hmm. Well... What I find the most interesting about this is that there is a new world actually emerging, in my opinion. Mm. And I am not so much interested in what I think it should look like. I'm more interested in what we're discovering as we're practicing being more truthful, more transparent, more honest with ourselves and our clients and our customers. And I mean, my team at The Ethical Move is just, I don't know, the source of everything good. Um, and I had we had such a good conversation with one of our team members who lives in Singapore. She's from Bangladesh. And the, the like, the understanding that this like constant individualism is such a white Western privileged mm. way to be. <laughs> understanding it finally, at, like, I guess it's sunk a little deeper into my being. I'm still not there yet because I, I still consider myself a bit of a hermit in the sense that, I mean, obviously you can be a hermit and communally oriented, but I, I, I don't understand it physically because I, I didn't grow up in that sort of scenario where you just automatically are part of a bigger, a bigger group, a bigger commune, I guess, a bigger community. And that to me feels much more interesting to say, okay, let us all pull back a little bit on what we think is the right way to do it mm. and start discovering what's actually already being built. Just see what's going to emerge because it it is just blocked. It's not like it doesn't exist yet or it has never existed. It's just blocked by <laughs> all of our wants and our needs. But there is a numbing that has taken place that has made us so scared and so alone that really I don't actually think that there's a new world in the sense that we're building. I think we just have to let it emerge. Mm. And I don't think I'm the one to say what it should look like because I I have ideas, but I'm white and privileged and I have a lot of, you know, really easy living behind me. And I'd rather actually start from where it's supposed to come from, from the people who are not in this privileged position. You'll hear more from Alice in just a minute, but first, a word from our What Works partners. This episode of What Works is brought to you by Mighty Networks. Small businesses run on community. We buy from businesses that connect us to each other, our neighborhoods, and ourselves. It's the feeling you get when you walk down Main Street or gather at the park for an event. And the same is true online. Today's digital small businesses run on the incredible power of communities coming together across thousands of miles. Mighty Networks gives you a potent tool for bringing your digital community together. Host events, offer courses, curate resources, and connect members to each other. Find out how Mighty Networks can power your community-based business at MightyNetworks.com. 
If you appreciate the in-depth conversations and outside-the-box business topics we talk about here on the show, you'll also love our newsletter, What Works Weekly. Each week, I share an article about business at the intersection of leadership, power, and culture. Plus, I also share what I'm reading, listening to, and watching around the web. To get What Works Weekly delivered to your inbox each Thursday, go to explorewhatworks.com weekly. All right, let's talk more about the ethical move, um, because I could talk to you about all of the underlying things, not just all day long, like literally for weeks. But (laughs) uh, I want to get into sort of like the operationalizing this stuff. Um, So I think the first question to sort of ask is, how would you describe the values that the ethical move is really based on, built on? Hmm. Well, we have a set of values that are in our logo. I think we we have based pretty much everything that we work on on them. Um, I think what it comes down to for us is to create this new way of doing marketing based on trust, transparency, and honesty. Mm-hmm. And we also noticed, of course, as we were, well, noticed, we started working on how to bring a really strong, let's say, inclusive and diverse pillar, like make that the core of who we are, because Mm. that is the core of what we want to see. So really, what we've done is try and walk the talk of putting the person before the sale always, and operating with as much transparency and truth and honesty as we can. And really making it about the team or the people around us or the collective push to change things and not about us as individuals. We want to create what the business, what the business that we think of, we want to have that business be ours. We want to walk the talk. Um, and so everything in our business is built around how can we, how can we exemplify what a business could look like? I am fascinated by businesses that sound like they're nonprofit organizations, but are in fact businesses. (laughs) So I think it would be helpful to actually have you let us like, tell what are you selling? How are you selling it? Like, tell us about how the ethical move actually works as a business. Well, it hasn't been a business for very long. It started as simply a movement with a website. Mm -hmm. Um, And we are all volunteers. So we are not actually making an income right now with it. We're all basically writing off our time (laughs) or, Mm -hmm. you know, contributing to um, the global sustainability goals. We are building an actual membership community to launch next year where we will actually charge a monthly fee. And with the goal of paying for expenses, because those are currently in my lap, and hopefully being able to support others to be there as well. We want to have sort of a tiered approach where we say, we want to say, you know, pay for your own, pay for, pay it forward, or mm-hmm. pay for the movement. Um, so the opportunity to also let other people be part of the community. And then from within that understanding more and more about what people need from us, um, creating workshops and events that can also be, you know, access from the outside. We are taking it very slowly. We mm-hmm. go step by step, really listening to what people are saying. 
And the thing that we've heard of the most that we actually want the most as well is a community. So that is the place where we're going next. Um, so currently, there is no actual revenue. It didn't, um, it never was going to be a nonprofit. I never thought of it as just another organization. That's not what I thought of it as. I thought of it as a cool addition to something that I already believe in. And then when it became clear that, um, I mean, once I had, you know, five people with me, I felt like, okay, we better do something with this because everyone's really, really passionate about it. And I do believe in the power of a business. And so it felt like I kind of had to walk the talk there too and say, okay, if I believe in businesses so much, then let's make one that works. So that's the that's the behind the scenes revenue situation. We are all basic chunking off times in our busy schedules because would you believe it? Ethical businesses work. <laughs> we all have our own businesses in the, in the marketing world, um, be it writing or actual marketing or it just they they run well so we all are you know kind of teasing out hours out of our schedule usually on Fridays and we have monthly meetings and chat on slack virtually every day i really appreciate you talking about taking it slow because i think one of the things that can get um a little overwhelming for folks when they start thinking about doing business differently is all of the things that need to be done differently. And I think going slow, either going incrementally or going slow or both is the only way you can really do it. Um, and I, I'm getting the sense that that's really the approach that you've taken with the ethical move as well, is sort of both going slow and going incrementally. Can you kind of walk us through how things have evolved and what priorities you had at different points as the movement was building and then as it was turning into a business? First, it started with a badge and a pledge to change uh, charm prices into round numbers, uh, because that was the clearest tactic I could find that was sort of black and white and yeah. easy to change. And um, and I knew that I wanted to make a series of tactics. That was always the plan, uh, because to me, the only real um, sort of on the ground change that I could see maybe working um, was to create a standard, an actual ethical marketing standards like fair trade or organic or all those other ones, of course, which are also problematic. So I'm not going to go down that road too far. Uh, but to me, that seemed like, okay, if I want to be serious about this, that's what we're aiming for. And so starting with a tactic seemed like a really good place to be. From there, um, it started to gain traction in terms of people wanting to come on board, people never having heard of charm prices, didn't even understand that there was manipulation. There were so many conversations where people were like, wow, I never even thought about this. So that was like the first step. And then um, and then people started arriving at my doorstep, which is just, I mean, the most magical thing, just the most amazing folks started coming on board. So once that started happening, it, it became really clear that wherever we were going, we weren't going to get there fast <laughs> because mm -hmm. all of us had busy schedules. And so really, really slowing things down and saying, okay, so what's the first thing we can do? All right, we're going to do a heartbeat campaign is what we called it because we said, okay, we have a heartbeat. We're here. We promise. Because I had a bit of a hiatus, um, I, I couldn't do it on my own. And I think when the team arrived was, was when really things changed. And the team, by the team, I mean just the individuals that jumped on board or that eventually found us or that we found. That was quite literally within the few months that we, at the beginning of the pandemic, I can't believe it, I'm saying the beginning, 
can't believe it's still happening. Um, yeah. Where we had our protests, where we certainly started to understand um, how terrible things really were in the world, which shouldn't have been a surprise, wasn't a surprise, but somehow still surprised us. And it seemed like we needed to really make sure that whatever we do, the understanding that this is not for us, this is for the the supply chain, how messed mm-hmm. up it is and how we can change that. So on one hand, understanding, okay, we need to have a real life thing that we can, you know, put a, put a name on it, put a stamp on it, whatever, something that people could rally around. And then also understanding that it's not about us. And what does that mean? And how do we how do we bring that more into our being? And I think one of the first things that I was really just that completely changed things for us was adding um, a really important agenda point, which we're calling Jedi, (laughs) justice, equity, diversity and inclusion. So now those are our Jedi prompts that we have at every meeting, we start with what have you noticed? What has changed? What's your perspective? I can't tell you how many times we've come up against things and then Somebody will say, well, actually, that's a really privileged view. Um, actually, slowing down the sale is really privileged. Um, actually, what we're doing is we need to decolonize the whole thing. Actually, this is the core of what we're doing. It's not actually a thing on an agenda point in a meeting, you know, in my meeting minutes. It's quite literally what we're doing. <laughs> there is something really deeply profound when people get to actually incrementally discover what a business could be like. And I think that's when we started to really understand how much we needed to be a business and how much we needed to, uh, you know, get ahead and understand all the things that we needed to look at. And then we got really lucky with someone who was just the tech savviest of all tech savvy people. And they immediately turned things around for us. All of a sudden, we're like, well, we got to translate into different languages. So we need a WordPress site. So we moved from Squarespace to WordPress, which was just horrifying for me. But it, you know, I, I have a person who understands it. So I, I will trust them to take care of it. And then we immediately jumped into well, how can we make our website more accessible? And then also, what do we need to talk about when we talk about accessibility, having a disabled person on our team, same thing, like, understanding the ramifications of what diverse and inclusive actually means um, and how much that is the core of everything we do. And I know that sounds so far away from ethical marketing, but we we realize we don't want to be just another marketing agency. We don't want to be an ethical marketing agency and become like, you know, have services and things that, that sort of support people in their ethical marketing journey. We really understood that that is not who we were wanted, who we want to deal with. And that's when I, that's when we came back again to our roots back to, okay, so what is it really about? And that's when the community was very clear. That was the way to go. The actual direct link between, well, we want to have a conversation. That's always been our mantra in the ethical move us. This is a conversation. I don't know anything. Well, a little bit, but I don't know much. So can you please give me your perspective? Can you please give me your ideas and your thoughts? And then together we can build something. And that's where the community was very clear. And so that's what we're building now, as well as still going back to the drawing. We just had a conversation in Slack about what are ethics? What is really ethic? What do you believe? What do I believe? So our team is this constant melting pot of sort of like the mini community that we're hoping to build in the in the meta soon um, to really kind of go back to these questions over and over and examine them examine ourselves examine our business this is the this is the core of it the 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 power 
imbalance. Um, and actually, what's interesting about it is that we had to completely revise our long term goal because of that as well. We're not going to be able to make a standard, we found out. So we actually have come back to something very simple where we're saying, okay, well, if the pledge is not supposed to lead into a standard, then it doesn't have to be hooked to tactics. And if it doesn't have to be linked to tactics that are measurable and, you know, manipula <laughs> manipulatable, that sounds horrifying. Uh, if it's not linked to tactics, then it can be something more zoomed out, something more intrinsic. And it can be quite literally commitments to putting the person before the sale, to being transparent, to being honest, to taking responsibility. And that's what you pledge to. And you find your own way to do it. Because in the end, we need to communally find our own way. We can't I don't want to be the next person that's like, here's the rules. Uh, this is now the new marketing standard. Yeah, right. What was I thinking? Anyway, um, I wanted to put a stake in the ground. It was very necessary for a time. It was very important to have a very clear like, hey, no, I'm actually going to put a stake in the ground. Let's talk. <laughs> like that is all I wanted to do. I wasn't trying to be a rebel or anything. I was trying to be an advocate saying, okay, so what if this? <laughs> what if we did this? And now we find out, okay, no, actually, that's not the way to do it. And I think that piece of constantly re-examining and going back inside and going, okay, wait, what am I actually doing? Where am I going? What's my end vision, I guess, in this, and realizing where you've gone off track and then going, okay, well, this shiny thing that I thought was going to be at the end of it isn't at the end of it. So what are we going to do now? We're going to change our pledge. We're going to actually make it a fully, full on communal effort and see what happens next. Hmm. It sounds like an exercise in not only trusting your own wisdom, but trusting the wisdom of others. Uh, so I'm super conscious of the time, but there's one more thing that it keeps buzzing around my head that I really want to ask you about before we wrap up, which is the difference between ethical marketing and moral marketing or ethics and morals uh, as a whole. Because it's, I think it's really easy when we start doing this work to realize all the places we've gone wrong and say, oh, that makes me bad. That makes me, I, I'm a bad person. Sort of having that moral uh, reflex or moralizing reflex to actions that we've taken or things, you know, just things that we've done or ways that we've structured things in the past. How do you, I guess I, I would just love to hear your response to that. How do you keep from going down that rabbit hole of I'm a bad person or sort of self-shaming yourself for just not knowing better earlier, not seeing the connections between these things earlier. The, the thing that I want for people to understand is that we have been born into this. We have been led to believe that this is the right way to do things or that we need to, uh, that there's something inherently good or bad when really what the world is like is it, it's much more of a gray area <laughs> and we actually everything that we do is more incremental and more small and, and, and tiny shifts that is actually mm -hmm. what really makes or breaks a thing it's not the the big stuff i know that sounds maybe a little counterintuitive but when we continuously align ourselves and our actions with the words that we say and with the way that we want the world to be continuously every day, we have a much better chance of being able to actually see the progress and seeing what see what's happening to us. So there's no need for, oh my gosh, I'm doing it wrong. I don't know how to do this. There's loads and loads of resources if you want to find the right way of doing things. But really, to be honest, it comes down to 
being in your core and coming back to to yourself whenever you feel that gap whenever you feel that lack just going wait what is the actual fear i'm experiencing here and if you feel shame or if you feel all of those things understanding mm -hmm. that those are meant to be there if you didn't have them the economy wouldn't work in its current iteration so yeah every feeling that you're experiencing where you feel like you need to immediately take drastic action is probably not correct <laughs> is probably wrong and that sounds really black and white as well, but that is from my personal experience with working through my own trauma, working in my own business, being in myself, knowing that when when I have the big feelings, it's usually a response to something that isn't me. So going into very small incremental steps from that place, letting it rest for a minute, not not moving a muscle just for a second and understanding what's actually going on is much more helpful. And so when we talk about ethical marketing, I want, I want for people to understand that there's a bigger context. It's not about us anymore. We've already won this game. <laughs> we're, we're there. <laughs> no matter if you feel like you're not earning enough per month or whatever, it doesn't, that doesn't actually equate to the destitution that most people are living through. So this is about us trying to make this world work for other people. So when we are lost in the shame spiral or we are lost mm -hmm. in, oh my gosh, there's so many things to think about. Just consider that what is the next best thing you can do that will align you back with, okay, I'm here to do this for others and not for myself. That's why I called it ethics, because to me, that's a more sort of communal regulation, I guess, in a completely unregulated, really harmful world. I love, love, love the question, what is the fear I'm currently experiencing? To me, that feels like such a great question to check in with, because so often when we talk about these the the questions of diversity and inclusivity and accessibility and power dynamics, there is a deep fear there. And if we can name that, if it just it seems like a really good way to say, okay, I see that fear. I understand why that fear is there. And now what 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 am I going to do outside of that fear? Um, I love that. So, so tangible, um, I think, and so helpful. Uh, Alice, what are you excited about right now? Oh, I'm so excited about our new content series, Decolonizing Marketing. I'm so excited about launching our community. I'm so excited that people are pledging every day. Like, lots of people um, are coming on board. It's so fun. Um, and I'm also excited about really digging into my branding business again to bring it out to, like, that place of ownership and that place of responsibility and that intrinsic place that 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 grounding place and mm -hmm. understanding that branding really is a really good way to to access that because it has so much to do with the heart of your business and so really just like feeling on the edge of things and that's what makes me really excited especially as people are waking up to you know the bigger context of things with the global catastrophe that we're dealing with yeah. Alice Carolina, thank you so much for sharing the story of the ethical move, your thought process behind it, and um, just being really honest with us about the evolution and and uh, how things have shifted for you in the process of building this. I really appreciate it. Changing the way we do business so that we do less harm in the world is a pretty easy goal to get behind. But actually doing it? Well, that's pretty tough. Operating a more ethical business doesn't mean sitting down and working through a few policy or system changes. 
It doesn't mean redoing your messaging or sales funnel. Those things might come out of the process, but operating an ethical business is a daily practice. It takes a willingness to slow down, think things through, and consider the viewpoints of others. It's work and it's worth it. Now, I'm not going to sit here and pretend to have this all figured out. I don't think Alice would either. And yet, the practice continues. Find out more about Alice Carolina at alicecarolina.com and more about The Ethical Move at theethicalmove.org. Next week, you'll hear from a panel of business owners about how they're operationalizing their values and doing business differently. What Works is produced by Yellow House Media. Our production coordinator is Lou Blazer. Our production assistant is Emily Kilduff. Marty Seafelt edited this episode. What Works is recorded on the ancestral homeland of the Susquehannock people, and the Yellow House is located on the unceded land of the Kutunaha Nation.